I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. Today's beautiful episode, we got to have the beautiful Miss Sahara Rose on the program. Uh, Sahara is, she is someone that impresses me more and more every time I get to connect with her. Um, I know you guys are going to get a lot of value from this conversation. She is, uh, let's see here, Deepak Chopra called her a leading voice for the millennial generation into a new paradigm of shift. New paradigm shift. Damn my reading skills. Um, Anyway, she's great. She's got a new book out called uh, Eat, Feel Fresh, Plant-Based Ayurveda Cookbook. She also wrote Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. Uh, She's rad. In this conversation, we get into some little hacks of how we can observe the overall health of our body by looking at things like our tongue, for example what the heck Ayurveda is in the first place, how it can improve our lives, um, how it relates to things like our personality, our biology, really cool stuff. I know you guys are gonna love this conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in to the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find the five-day movement challenge. Uh, People have been loving that. It is a really basic, simple way to start integrating better movement into your daily life. If you have any questions, comments, ideas, hit me up at alignpod.com podcast or line band on the old Instagrams, and I'll try and get back. Um, got an event coming up. I'm co-leading a thing here in Santa Monica with Aubrey Marcus. A bunch of great people are going to be there. Duncan Trussell, Chris Ryan, uh, Whitney Miller, all sorts of great people. It's going to be awesome. So if you guys have interest in checking that thing out, um, look forward to seeing y'all there. I think that's good. Let's just start this little, little mofo podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you are absolutely enjoying your Monday. And uh, here we go. Align podcast. With drinking water, is water is water is water? Or is there any type of, what's your, your perspective on water? Yeah. Well, from the Ayurvedic perspective, you should never have a cold water. So I only do room temperature to like actual warm or hot water. I would never do an iced water, for example. So um, in Ayurveda, your digestion is called an agni, means fire. So if you can think about a fire, if you're putting ice water over a fire, you're going to deplete the fire. So the whole point is to constantly be rekindling those flames. So be drinking warm water. In Ayurveda, it's frequency over quantity. So it's better to take small sips of water throughout the day, ideally every 20 minutes, than suddenly be like, oh my God, I didn't drink any water and shove a gallon of water down your mouth because that will deplete your like your stomach acid levels and your enzymes and make digestion harder. So sips, if you look at little Chinese people, right, they're just drinking little sips of tea all day. And that's what the Ayurvedic approach would say too. Hmm. Yeah. So cold. So you said never, I don't think we ever say never on the land podcast. (laughs) I, I, I mean, unless I'm really thirsty and the only thing available is a cold water, then I'll obviously drink it, but I would never choose the cold water so like cold lemonade's like so nice in the summertime there's like there's never value there i think for Hmm. example maybe if you're drinking water cold water from a stream that's from a stream right but that's that's literally living water Hmm. um whereas like putting bottled water in the refrigerator is not the same i mean for example you people can try it themselves at home like when you drink cold water and then let's say you have a meal versus you drink room temperature to warm water most of the time at least for me I feel better that I can digest my food in a more complete manner if I had a little bit of the warm to room temperature water versus cold yeah yeah I get that as for from like an enzymatic perspective kind of that cold water it makes sense to me that it might kind of cause it's your, a shock you know yeah. your your internal organs think your mouth is 98 degrees imagine your internal organs are probably a little bit warmer so let's just say 100 degrees something that's frozen is 32 degrees right that's mm. the point of freezing so let's say 30 degrees and 100 degrees that's a 70 degree difference so think about the energy expenditure of your body to take something that's 30 degrees and bring it up to 
100 degrees. Your body can do it. Your body can do anything, but that's going to require a lot of energy expenditure that could have been used on digesting your food and breaking it down and absorbing the nutrients and elimination. And why not use that energy towards something that you're, you're doing? Because in the Ayurvedic perspective, when you have something cold and the energy is moving towards warming it up, the food sits and ends up rotting in your gastrointestinal tract. And then it eventually ferments and it putrefies and it spreads toxins throughout the system, which is why which shows up differently for different body types, but an indicator is just the white coating on your tongue. If you look in the mirror and your tongue is coated in white stuff, those are the toxins, the mucus, it's called ama, And that is just a reflection of the mucus coating that is going on in your GI tract. Mm. Yeah. So what should our tongues look like? So, I mean, everybody's tongue will look different. There's again, like perfect feet. There's no perfect tongue, <laughs> but what we want to look for is a pink tongue, slightly red on the tip, but not too red. There could be a little bit of white coating, like that is normal. You're not gonna never have any, but it should be like a few scrapes with a tongue scraper and it's gone. If you notice your tongue has cracks in it, which a lot of people do, people should just look in the mirror right now. If you have cracks in your tongue, that's a vata imbalance, too much air in the system, which we can talk about, but bloating, gas, constipation, anxiety, insomnia, air. We have a really red tip of your tongue. That's too much heat, too much fire, inflammation, heartburn, um, rashes, uh, like irritations in general. And then if you notice your tongue has just a lot of white stuff, more of a gray, grayish white, that's kapha. So mucus, phlegm, lethargy, um, it's too much sluggishness in the system. And then Mm. from the shape of your tongue, you can tell what your natural born constitution is. So vatas, they tend to have longer tongues, longer, thinner tongues. Pittas tend to have medium shaped and coughas tend to have like large, big, heavy tongues in general. So you can see the prakriti, the natural born constitution from the shape of the tongue and then the imbalance from what's going on on the coating of the tongue because the coating of your tongue is constantly changing. Mm. Can you look at my tongue? Sure. Okay. Yeah, so I do, I do see there's a uh-uh. big crack. Oh, God. Do you, have you noticed that? Uh-uh. And you have a, you have a <laughs> uh, wide tongue. Uh, you know, because for me, from the outside, <laughs> you look pitta. pitta. Do you think you're a pitta? I'm not sure. So pitta is the fiery body type. Mm. So people who are pitta physically, they tend to have a more of an athletic build. I don't know if you had to work really hard or if that just came naturally to you, but they tend to naturally be more athletic. They tend to have, yeah, like more of just medium shaped body. They're not like too tall and lanky and they're not like stocky either they're just in the middle it's like um, a mesomorph they're mesomorphs exactly right. yes so from a digestive perspective when they're out of balance and there's too much fire the imbalance happens the heat that the fire in their stomach that we were talking about becomes excess so that means when they eat food it's throwing too much stomach acid at the food mm. so that moves up the esophagus you experience heartburn your heart is burning then you that can lead again to just all sorts of acidity issues. You can have ulcers in your stomach later on. You can have inflammation that's going throughout your system. You can get rashes and um, redness on your skin, rosacea. Um, acne is an example of a pitta imbalance. The heat is rising and trying to leave. So, you know, in, in all types of cultures, like in Spanish culture, when someone has acne, they say, el tiene fuego, he has fire. So this is the f- literal eruptions of fire that you're seeing. Mm. So... Again, the digestion will be related to the skin, will be related to everything else. It's, it's a holistic system. But just think of anything heat, feeling too hot in general, um, feeling like you, you, again, need to cool off. Maybe that's why you like cold water. Aaron, maybe you... Well, I'm not in love with cold water. <laughs> I just have, I have strong resistance against the never word. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so okay. Well, but I don't think it's necessarily right. Like I don't like right. never say never. Like or what? Or, or, or maybe maybe sometimes say never. I just any time that comes up, I'm like, really? Right. <laughs> yeah. I guess not never. If I was if I was dehydrated, I would drink cold water. Well, the one thing that not to keep on beating that, but the one thing is taking water from a spring is like one of the most magical experiences of my life. Right. And it's it's cold as fuck. Right. I mean, I would think of taking water from a spring differently from you're just getting it bottled and refrigerated. Mm. Unless I could understand if you got that water from a spring and you're trying to preserve that specific water and you have to refrigerate it to preserve certain 
I don't know, nutrients or alkalinity in it that needs refrigeration. Like, yes, I can understand that, but it's the practice of taking everything and we feel like we need it to be cold, to feel refreshing, to feel like it's hydrating us when that's a myth. If you, for example, like in India, it's 120 degrees regularly and they're never, they never, ever, ever drink anything cold or iced. And that's such a hot country. Mm. So I think it's a myth that we think, oh, I'm hot. So I need ice cream. I need a cold smoothie. I need something cold. When in actuality, there's so much energy expenditure that it's making you more hot from the amount of energy yeah. that you're expending. So you think you're getting cooled off because of the immediate taste of the cool, but you're actually creating more heat. What about for, for people that want to kind of like biohack their metabolism and they're, they're, they're wanting their body to work more so that by, from that belief, it'd be like, okay, I'm sitting in my office, but I'm drinking cold water. So I have to end up raising that temperature. So it's kind of like I'm doing a little jog. Right. And that was a big thing that people would say in the nineties of drink cold water to speed up your metabolism. But what is the cost of this like very small I wouldn't even say your metabolism is being increased by drinking the cold water. Maybe if you're in, in cold water swimming in it, yes. But at, there's no expense to your digestion. Digestion is everything. In, mm. in Ayurveda, digestion is the cornerstone of health. So you wouldn't want this one little perhaps metabolism hack to get in the way of your digestion. Because if you're not digesting food, you're not going to be breaking down the fats and you're not going to, your metabolism is not going to be functioning anyways. So you always want to be kindling that digestive fire, making sure your digestion is going strongly. And then you can do other things to try to boost up your metabolism, like exercise or, or whatever else. No. So I have a crack in my tongue. What am I supposed to do with this thing? So that's a, apart. that's a Vata imbalance. So we talked about how you look like a Pitta, but you can have an imbalance that's not your natural body type. So the Pitta imbalance, as we mentioned, was too much heat, too much acidity, uh, circulation, feeling hot all the time in the mind, feeling maybe impatient, um, with all like pitta people are really goal oriented, determined, ambitious. They, they know what they want. They set a target and they're going to go get it, which is great. And they make natural CEOs and entrepreneurs, etc. But when there is excess heat, sometimes all of that fire can turn into a volcano and you get really frustrated when your goals aren't happening, but they were supposed to, and you can get really on edge. So the other side of that, the shadow side, as you may say, is the frustration, anger, impatience, irritability. Mm. So that's like kind of what the pitta looks like. Now, the vata, naturally, if someone is a more vata body type, which you also have too, they tend to be either really tall or really short, like extremes in general, um, lanky, like long arms. Um, if you think of the ballerina body, for example, that's a really good example of like the Vata type, like they're like swan-like, right? Mm. Um, they tend to have joints that crack a lot. So maybe you've noticed that in some of your, your clients, they just tend to have more stiff joints, especially they wake up in the morning and they're like cracking, whereas the Pitta person is just more well lubricated in their joints in general. And that's why they're, they're stronger athletes. The Vata is more like fragile, you'd say. Mm. So, um, they also tend to have bone abnormal abnormalities 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 yes so for example you just received a session so your brain can potentially wander to right yeah I'm like how do you say that word um, so they can be bow legged or they can have like you saw my hips are really turned out or bunions or just like different things going on in their bones that they were born with doesn't mean they can't fix it but they just tend to have more of that tendency right so. Um, Another example would be like, like that marathon runner body. Like they're almost like, like lean and lanky. Um, but for example, maybe they have like a, a, a spine problem or they're hunched or something else because they're not totally in their bodies, if that makes sense. So yeah, vatas tend to gravitate more to be in their minds. They tend to be heady people. Um, if you think about the, the air, it's Vata's air. So the air, it moves, it flows, it goes from one thing to another. You can't predict the wind, right? It's, it's in every direction. And that's the Vata's mind. So it is creative. It is eccentric. It sees things that most people cannot. It has a, ver a bird's eye perspective on life. It can be very spiritually connected as well. And that leads them to living very creative careers. But when that 
air is not directed in, in, a, in a proper direction, sometimes it can just move into a tornado, right? So mm-hmm. then your thoughts spiral, 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 and you get anxious, and then you can't turn off the thoughts, and you get insomnia, and maybe you start, you're really good at starting things. You go from one project to the next, and you know, you have those friends every time you talk to them, like, oh yeah, I'm going to like start a jewelry line, and like, oh. I've, I've shut those, those friends down. Now I'm going to like be a, like, a functional medicine doctor. Oh no, I'm gonna actually like take a year off and surf. It's like, one of my like strongest pet peeves. Right, because that's your pit of mind like, is like, this. how are you not goal oriented? I'm like, show me evidence, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, right. But the Vanda's like, you know, what? Good. I need to be more nurturing. Right. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the kapha. But no, you don't need to. You know, that's like with Ayurveda, it's like own what you're good at. Like you yeah. are, you were born a pitta for a reason. It's related to your dharma. It's related to your purpose. Hmm. So. And again, you're not, no one is only one dosha. I'm just talking about real archetypes of them. But that vata person would look like, like the creative guy who like works in an ad agency and wears skinny jeans and like, you know, that, that type of person. Steve Jobs is a good example of a vata. But these things, these, the doshas, they're flexible and they're, they're, they change. It's not a static state. Like once you get pin pitta, could you change through something like say structural body work or through changing your diet or becoming a power lifter. I'm like a weightlifter now and all of a sudden your confidence changes and you take martial arts or is that something that transforms or is it kind of more static? Yeah, that's a great question and I think that's what confuses a lot of people. So you're born with something called your prakriti. It's your natural born constitution. It is in your DNA and that's something that won't change. So you may have been born primarily pitta, secondarily vata, lastly kapha, right? But then in your life, you may have said, oh, I really want to like be a ballerina or I really want to like be a football player, whatever you wanted to do. Or in your mind, you could have gone towards different things and your diet and your lifestyle, your activities, your environment, all of these things can create a change in your body. So you may look and even relate to a dosha that you were not, but the things in your body that cannot change, such as the structure of your bones or the shape of your face or the shape, like the shape of your tongue or your hips and all of these things that we can see the doshas in, that cannot change. So for example, um, let's say you were like thin your whole life and you never had a problem with weight and then you went through a difficult divorce and then suddenly you started to just be stressed out and you start to emotionally eat and then you start to get like lethargic and you start to stay home more and then suddenly flash forward five years later you have this body that doesn't even feel like yours mm. and you might take a dosha quiz and say oh I must be a cough I'm overweight but you actually weren't born cough that's an imbalance that's going on so because, yes, you have total control to bring your body into balance or out of balance from your diet and lifestyle, but there are certain, like a deck of cards you were handed with that you're going to have to work with. Some people are naturally going to be better at being a football player and some are naturally going to be better at being a ballerina. It does not mean you can work really hard and get really good at that certain thing, but you'll just have a natural propensity towards towards specific body movements and, and mental, um, careers and all of those things. So it is nature and nurture, but in Ayurveda, what we, what the aim is really is to make sure none of your doshas are out of balance. So you don't have to necessarily go back and only be what you were born as, but you just want to make sure that you are not overexerting either of these three qualities, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Could you stumble upon the concepts or have people stumble upon the concepts, kind of like religion, um, within the doshas without ever discovering Ayurveda? Like, is the, does the, 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 do those principles, do they span out beyond just Ayurvedic medicine? Does oh, that make sense? I don't think for, I'm asking that very for, well. For but. sure. Like, can the doshas relate to things besides Ayurveda? Yeah, yeah. Like, is there other, could you compare that to another form of nutrition? Or, like, is there, like, I see that when, when relating very, various different, not that I really read so many very religious texts, but if you read, like, you right. know, the Upanishads or the Bhagavad Gita or the Bible or the Quran, you're like, they're kind of saying the same thing. Right. Is there something, or is Ayurveda different in that way? Yeah, it's similar to Chinese medicine. People listening may be like, oh, the elements, because Ayurveda is based off the, the five elements. It's space, air, fire, water, and earth. These five elements create the three doshas. Um, in Chinese medicine, they also have five elements. Chinese medicine is based off of Ayurveda. In year 800 AD, Chinese scholars came to northern India. They learned about Ayurveda, and then they created their own 
system. Mm. So it is a five elemental system, but they have wood and metal. Um, but it is, again, it's a system of balance and a lot of the same type of philosophies. But what Chinese medicine is better at is it's more acute and looking at specific issues and ailments in the body and finding the way to heal that ailment. Whereas Ayurveda is more of a lifestyle and it's more of, it's not just food. It's also self-care and meditation and even your yoga practice and all of these things are, you know, the word Ayurveda means knowledge of life. So it's much more than when you're sick, this is what to do. It is how to also prevent that sickness. And even the world's oldest recorded surgeries, many people think they're from Egypt. They actually come from Chikitsa. It is a Sanskrit word that is in Ayurveda. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Can we talk about some of like the so potential contentious things is like oil pulling. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So um, oil pulling, tongue scraping, dry brushing, um, self oil massage. These are things that are kind of like cool. Is yeah. That how you say that word? Abhyanga. Yeah. Abhyanga. Yeah. It's fun to say. So these are all Ayurvedic practices that people are doing today because they're really easy to do. So um, so a good thing to do before you do the oil pulling is tongue scraping. Do you tongue scrape? I have a tongue scraper. I'm not like religious about it, um, but I do. Religious about it. I know. Apparently, so I have cracks <laughs> in my tongue. I'm falling apart. That just means your your vata is out of balance. So maybe you're traveling a lot. Are you traveling? I am traveling a buttload. I literally yeah. just got back. I'm tired as hell right now. Yeah. So that's what's showing up for you. Yeah. So you're you have too much air in your system. You need more grounding, connecting to earth, eating more root vegetables, eating more warming foods. I don't know. Do you eat a lot of raw foods? Mm, no, kind of, sort of. Yeah, I eat like a lot of salads. Right. So let go of the salad. I mean, you can have them, but maybe, maybe, yeah, like add some sweet potato or have some ginger tea with it. Something that's a little bit more warming and grounding would be good for you to heal that imbalance. And then mm. while you're traveling, if you could put oil on your skin, especially sesame oil, yeah. that's really good when you're traveling to like give warmth to your body. Um, what kind of, t- are there like go-to oils that one should travel with or is the sesame for me specifically? So sesame is good for a vata imbalance. Mm. If you're have the crack on your tongue, for example, or you're cold, dry, bloated, gassy, constipated, anxious, insomnia, sesame oil is good because it's really warming. Mm. If you have a pitta imbalance, so um, hyperacidity, acne, rosacea, excess heat, um, anger, frustration, coconut oil is good because that's more cooling. Mm. If you are kapha, which we didn't really talk about, but kapha is to feel like the earth energy. And if you think about the earth, the earth is grounded and it's heavy. And, you know, do you ever have people on your podcasts that talk like this a little bit? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> how, how do you like that? I just pass out. Do you feel grounded or do you feel really frustrated? Um, I think right now, honestly, a little bit of frustration, (laughs) but I think that I can, I'll usually, so I usually just go to the polar opposite of whatever somebody is. So if I'm around a bunch of religious people, I become super atheist and I'm like, come on, you have to be kidding me. So that's the pitta in you. But if I'm around a bunch of atheist people, I'm like, well, Jesus had a lot of points. So that's the pitta in you because pittas (laughs) love to debate. Yeah. Pittas want to be like. Well, did you ever think of that? Yeah, no. no matter what, even if I'm like, because com- you want to have a goal, and then your goal, your goal is to like have them see things in different. I'm, a, I'm mainly fit to do, so I get it. But um, I'm just uncomfortable with dogma. Right. So as soon as a person, I feel like they're inside of the box of the thing. Yes. Even if I like totally agree with the box, I'm like, no. For sure. And no, and no one should be, even the box of Ayurveda, that's like what my new book is about is like, how can we surpass this? Like what actually doesn't make sense in this? Mm. So it's very important to not be in any box, but anyways, the cough of people, lethargic, sluggish, um, tired, gaining weight, throat chakra related issues. So phlegm, um, strep throat, mucus, hypothyroidism. So you see a lot of older women, they get um, coffin imbalances. And if you think about it, they were raised to be mothers and give everything and put other people in front of themselves. Right. And this giving, giving, giving leaves them feeling depleted. And then they gravitate to emotional eating, anything they can just to feel full. And then their bodies just want to ground. So they start to gain weight and they feel heavier, especially they gain weight in the hips and the thighs. So Ira says where you gain weight on the body is symptomatic of what the dosha is. Hmm. So hips, thighs, even arms, if you think about it, again, this may sound weird, but it's like you're holding space for so many people. So your arms just get like big to hold that. Like it's like that motherly arm, um, which may sound very weird, but you'll notice it. Whereas, for example, the pitto, when they gain weight, it is around the belly because it's cortisol, it's stress. Hmm. And the vata also would be more around the midsection. 
more so actually than the pitches. Pitches can get gain weight. They tend to not gain weight in general, um, but it will be around the body or stress-related. Vatas will be like the skinny fat, you know? Like if you look at them, they're, they're skinny, but they just don't have like the muscle definition because they can kind of get away without, without it. Hmm. And you can tell someone's facial structure. There's, there's identification there. Yes. What's that look like? Yeah. So in general, vatas have longer faces. So you do have that kind of vata face, um, longer faces, sometimes cheeks sunken in. So if you look at the Steve Jobs face or even like Kira Knightley or Natalie Portman, um, they tend to have the longer sunken in face. They tend to have beady, small beady eyes that are like moving quickly. They tend to have thin eyebrows, thin lips, um, you can tell from someone's wrist oftentimes their bone structure. So if you put your fingers, your hand around your wrist and there's a lot of space, so you can see a lot of space on mine, that's vata. If it's like equal like this, that's pitta. If you can't touch, there's kapha. So what's yours? Kapha. Oh, you can't I got touch. I a big old honking wrist. So you have, you're, you're, you have like big bones, even though you're not like. like I always tell people I'm big bone. Yeah, you are big bone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you have that like structure and, and grounding too, but you obviously don't have a kapha imbalance, which would be like you're th so tired all the time and dealing with that stuff. Hmm. So, um, so what were we talking about? You know, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. you you can change your facial structure based off of the way that you breathe, which ends up correlating to uh, levels of testosterone. Mm -hmm. So you can actually see someone when they have like a sh like a sunken kind of chin like that, like, like the double chin thing. Uh -huh. And their face is just kind of like, like soft and kind of like fallen. Right. You know, fallen. That person generally, they're going to have quite low testosterone, testosterone levels yes. as well. And along with that, they're probably breathing through their mouth. Um, you know, and so there's this whole cascade that happens just from the way that you breathe. And then you could apply that. You could call it, would, would that person be what? A kapha? What kind of person yeah, would that kapha. be? Is that kapha? Mm -hmm. I just totally guessed. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you can change say, okay, well let's breathe a little bit differently. And then all of a sudden you actually have the, the pressure of the, the tongue pushing up like the, on the roof of the mouth. Mm -hmm. So when you close your mouth and you breathe through your nose, you'll feel your tongue which is on the roof of your mouth. That tucks, there's like the microcosmic orbit and all sorts of Chinese yes, medicine yes, yes. stuff with that. Yeah. But it creates outward pressure on the face. Mm. And then all of a sudden you start creating these jaw lines, just like when, if you uh, give a person testosterone, they'll get these harder jaw lines. Yeah. So you literally change the shape of the bones based off of the hormones connected to the breath. And it's just, Oh, that's fascinating. That the, is the, fascinating. The, the, the amorphousness. So you would be creating more pitta in the face because a pitta face is that stronger jawline, which is testosterone. Yeah. So you would be creating essentially more more fire in their system by doing that. And if you think about it, maybe is is the breath like a fiery breath? Hmm. Is it a heat building breath? Interesting. Are you so, asking? Yeah, I'm wondering. Is well, it? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it perhaps could be. It's like bringing like more heat and more like almost like masculinity into the system and that yeah. could be even changing the shape. So that would be a more pitta face than the kapha face, as you mentioned, would be no chin line, double chin, um, just very round. Is there value in being a kapha face? I don't think anybody wants to be a kapha face. No, for, no, for sure. Like for example, I was born with a very kapha face. So I have a round face and big eyes and full lips and small nose. Kapha faces are almost like baby-like faces. Mm. So in India, they say you always want to marry a kapha. Because she's going to age the best. And oh. kapha is actually the, the dosha of beauty, more female beauty, because it's very, like, nurturing. Delicate. And, yeah. And um, it's, like, voluptuous. It's kind of fra fragile, too, I would imagine. No. That, that structure. Fra the, fragile, the fragile face would be more of the vata, like, to be, like, thin lips and, like, <laughs> like you know, that's, like, more of the fragile face. Not to say, like, you, like Kira Knightley, she's beautiful, <laughs> you know? No one would say she's not, but she has more of the Vata face. Like, the Pitta face is, like, um, like Aubrey Marcus and his partner, Whitney. They are a very Pitta couple. Yeah, they're like, Pitta AF. Pitta, yeah. I, like, asked him, like, do you guys have a lot of testosterone? He's like, I'm not sure. I'm like, totally, yeah. yeah. They're super Pitta. The jawlines, like, they're strong. Um, that's a Pitta face. Jennifer Lopez has a lot of Pitta going on, too. Whereas mm. the Kapha face, like, Beyonce and Kim Kardashian, like, it's, like, this, like, voluptuous and, like, juiciness. Um, 
but then again, like both of them, they tend to have like the more hourglass body and um, more like of the groundedness that coffees tend to have thick hair, th thick eyelashes. So there's a lot of, you know, great qualities of each dosha. And then there's also dealing with weight gain and the stuff that comes with that too. Why do I need tongue scrape? Or why does anybody need tongue scrape? This is something that's still foreign to me and I think I should understand it by now. Okay. So <laughs> most people think you tongue scrape just because of your breath. And that is a good reason, but the real reason why in Ayurveda that you tongue scrape is because your tongue has receptors that are constantly seeing and noticing what foods you're putting into it. As we know, digestion begins in the mouth. So the moment food hits your mouth, your saliva is kind of sending signals to your digestive system of like, okay, we need amylase. We need, you know, the exact um, digestive enzymes you need according to the macronutrients that you're eating. Mm. So when your tongue is coated in white stuff, you're essentially creating a barrier mm. between your tongue receptors and the food. So your tongue is not as able to see what you're eating, and it's not able to send the signals to your digestive system to prepare. Does that make sense? It does. And yeah, I, I have like whispers of what happened before tongue scrapers. Was diet just different or was there some I mean, other? In Ayurveda, they have been using a form of tongue scraper for 5,000 years. But they what would about use... before like human evolution, like modern human, whatever, 3.2, what, 200,000 years? 3.2 million think... is like the origin of perhaps we had stronger stomach acidity back then that we were better able to digest. You know, if you look at carnivores, they have acidity in their mouths already. Like, I don't know the, the pre-human human, like the, the ancestral human lineage and exactly what was going on in their stomach acid. But I know that our stomach acid levels and our digestive systems had fal have faltered throughout the years. So we do need as much help as possible. And I do also know that when you still go to like villages in India, they are using licorice sticks from trees mm -hmm. to scrape their tongue and, and even um, scrape their gums as well. So oral hygiene has, is something that has been practiced for thousands of years. Mm. And then the pulling, what are your thoughts on oil pulling? Yeah. So you scrape your tongue to remove the surface level ama toxins, and then you do oil pulling, which is essentially Ayurvedic mouthwash. So you take a, a tablespoon of oil, again, sesame oil for vatas, coconut oil is for um, pittas, and for kaphas, you can do sesame oil in the wintertime and coconut oil in the summertime. What if you're in LA? If, still, you're, still winter, summer, if you're in LA, you know, there's still seasonal changes. That was something I was also curious about because I was like, well, in India, it's still kind of always hot. Yeah. Um, but there are, are salt, small seasonal changes that we may not be as aware of, but they're still happening. Even if you live in like Jamaica, there's cool. still seasonal changes. So um, what's, what are we doing Sunday? Jamaican. Yeah. Dance hall. Dance hall. Jamaican yeah. dance hall. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> So, um, oil pulling. So if you, for example, let's say I was going to clean your floors. If I just used water, I'm not going to get as deeply in the pores of the wood as I would if, if I used an oil based wood solution. Right. Hmm. So your mouth is the same way. We have pores, not just on our tongue, but on our gums and on our cheeks. So when we're using something that's water-based, we're not able to as thoroughly go in there. Again, this is an Ayurvedic perspective, but I have such noticed a difference. For example, I used to use Listerine. I thought, oh, it makes me feel really like fresh after. Seems like it's got to be poisonous. Right. So <laughs> it's basically working the same way an antibiotic would on your gut. So right. it's killing everything, all bacteria, good or bad. And yeah. as we know, then the bad bacteria flourishes in that scenario. So you become addicted to using the Listerine because you're noticing your breath smells bad when you're not using it, but it's really you're perpetuating the problem the longer you use it. So if you totally stop using it, after a few weeks, you're just going to go back into balance. So what the oil pulling is doing, it's removing gently, not as harshly as Listerine, but it's gently removing the bad toxins from your mouth while keeping the good bacteria that is still natural to, to any mouth. We have microbiome in our mouth, on our skin, on everywhere. It's not just in our gut. So it's allowing us to flush out the toxins without damaging everything going on. And you'll notice when you oil pull and you spit the oil out, it is like white and foamy. And that's mm. not how oil looks when it's in a bottle. Mm. And they say that that is actually the, the ama, the toxins that are coming out of your body. And in fact, you should not spit the oil into like your sink or your plumbing because it will damage your plumbing. So you should always spit it into a trash can and then afterwards rinse your mouth with either warm water or warm water with salt to kill off any excess bacteria that's left in there. 
What about sexuality in Ayurveda? Yeah. So the book that I'm writing right now is like, is Ayurveda and like dating and relationships and what that looks like. Cause that was really fascinating to me, but our doshas show up in, in dating as well. So yeah. for example, if we looked at the archetype of Vata, that's like the first moment you met, it's like, Oh my God, all the things we're going to do together. We're going to build a school together and we're going to do this. And it's like, you know, you're so excited, but then they get equally as excited with the next person. So they, they can be serial yeah, daters. Right. Serial daters and um, really good at the beginning again, just like in careers, just like in, in anything. Um, so it can be, again, like the wind. It just kind of flows one way. Oh, I don't really know. I'm not, I don't really know what I want right now. Like, and, and again, not that everyone needs to be in a committed relationship, but sometimes they're sort of just like staying distant as a way to avoid getting into those like intimate emotions. Right. And then the Pitta archetype is like fiery. And normally in a relationship, the beginning is the more Vata stage. You're kind of still, it's still up in the air. You're still getting to know each other. But then there's normally one person who's a little bit more Pitta who's like, okay, like, where's this going to go? Are you seeing other people? Like, do you want to be my girlfriend or boyfriend? Like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? They're like kind of moving it on. And then the relationship moves into this Pitta and action. And there's in a general relationship, it's like you start dating and you move in together and you get married, blah, 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 blah. And there's like, so this is the pitta. This is the action part of it. And this is also the passion and the fire and, um, and the bulk of like, just like sexuality and sexual energy and compatibility, right? Heat. Um, but it can also get in some relationships that are too much of the passion and the fire can turn into anger and frustration and jealousy and all of the other red emotions, if you think about it that way. And then a relationship will move into the kapha stage, which is when you're really comfortable with each other and, you know, you're like family almost. And sometimes it can feel more like roommates than lovers. And you have to make an extra effort to bring in more of the vata, the creativity and the dreaming and the pitta, the, the fire. Otherwise, it can just get really dull and earthy and you just, right. you know, sit on the couch. So in sexuality, that would be like basically you're not having sex anymore. Is there two people that are not? So would like two fire fire be like a really bad decision? Yeah. I always say go for someone with the, the dosha qualities that you are lacking in. So if you right. are someone who's, and again, you're not just one, you could be a combination of two. You can be really close to all three. If you're close to all three, maybe you'd be good with someone who's also tridoshic. But like, for example, I have a friend and he's really, um, pitta vata. And he craves kapha. He like wants someone to help him chill out because he can't do it on his own. And so he ended up marrying someone who has a lot of kapha in her. And they're a great match for each other because she revs him up and then he, she calms him down. So I think that, you know, you don't want to date yourself in another form. You need to bring those qualities that you're lacking in. Yeah. What are you struggling with? In relationships or in life? Mm, Ayurvedic stuff in general. Is there anything like imbalances you're working on? Mm. Mm, for me... I've gone through every type of dosha imbalance. When I learned about Ayurveda, I was going through a really bad vata imbalance. So I was eating a mostly raw vegan diet because I just thought that was, to me, it made sense. Oh, it'd be the healthiest food possible. Just don't cook any of your food. And that was going really well for me until a period that my body was shutting down. And in the way that it was shutting down, my digestive system basically stopped. I couldn't digest food. I didn't get my period for two years. I was like cracking and hurting all of my joints, constantly getting injured. I would faint all the time. I lost 30 pounds. Damn. My hair was falling out. I, I like literally looked sick because I was, even if I was eating, I wasn't absorbing any of my food. What was the... Cause? I had a vata imbalance. What was the cause from a Western medicine perspective? Nothing. I went to every doctor you can imagine, and that's how I found Ayurveda. I went to gastroenterologists, endocrinologists. I couldn't sleep at night. I was, like, wired all the time, and it was because of my vata lifestyle. So I was eating a raw vegan diet, which is cold and dry and raw, which increases vata. And then a vata life. I was like traveling all around. I didn't even live in a place. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't have a routine structure. I was doing a lot of Ashtanga yoga at the time, which is really like, you're almost like leaving your body at that point and following like that lifestyle. And, um, it made me disconnected with, with earth and disconnected with myself. And, um, so it was both mental and physical causes. But when I started to learn about Ayurveda and I heard about Vata, I'm like, this is just my autobiography. Mm. And I had never felt so well understood before. So I knew that there is something to the system because it is describing imbalances I didn't even know that I had. You know, I just thought they were normal. I didn't know it's not normal to spend three or to four hours trying to fall asleep every night. I thought, oh, that's everyone deals with that. Yeah, I've gone through periods. Right. 
So that's how I learned about Ayurveda. So I've had vata imbalances. I've had pit imbalances. When I was writing Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, I had two months to write a 400-page textbook, which was like a lot of... Did you do it by yourself? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. No like, co-writer? No. What are you doing? No. I Get like six co-writers on that thing. No. I, I had no money for a co-writer. I'm like some broke girl trying to make Ayurveda happen. Like, <laughs> What can make this happen? Yeah. I, I didn't get paid enough for a co-writer. Um, so I was just like, oh my God, I need to like write about this ancient health system. It's going to be everyone's textbook for it. Like think about the pressure on that. Dude, that must have been pressure. Yeah. How so do you handle the pressure? I just went to I'm work. I'm going through the process right now. I just went, the I mine's mean, like way more chill than yours. No, I mean, <laughs> since I had a two month deadline, there was just no, no other option. Like this book was going to print. Why do you have a two month deadline? Why don't you tell a, them like I need six months? No, Get off my a, back. Because they had hired someone before to write the Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda who was four months into the six months they normally give them. And it was so much work and so hard that she quit and didn't turn anything in. Oh, no. And then serendipitously, I had written a different Ayurveda book, which is about my modern approach, which is now what my new book, Eat, Feel Fresh, is about. And I was basically, they happened to approach my literary agent trying to find someone to write the official idiot's guide to Ayurveda. And she connected them with me. And they were like, if you were to write the table of contents, what would you put in that book? You have a week. And I was just like, boom, channeled source. I sent it back to them that day. They're like, what does okay. channel source mean? Like, you Did know, you when wake you're up at 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. to channel your coffee no, or whatever. No, that would be Vata, though. Shit. <laughs> um, I'm channeling is something that we're all doing all the time. It doesn't mean you're like, like, you know, talking to spirits. But it is when like all of these like I had spent years first healing myself from Ayurveda, then writing this first book about Ayurveda that was before Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. And it was all preparing me for literally this moment. So channeling is when you're almost like in a flow state. You're not even in control. Like when you're writing and it almost feels like you were like sitting back, you're maybe not even looking and it's like, blah, 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 blah. it's like coming through you. And that book literally came through me. Cool. So I would just like do my yoga practice, get on my computer and just try to get out of my way and just let this come through. So I wrote that book in two months and I got a pits imbalance of course because it was up to like three in the morning I'm like wow I'm writing about these great rhythms how you should be asleep by 10 and I'm up till three but I you know I think in life you can't always be balanced there are going to be times that you're not and I'm glad that I did that because I got the book done um but then I had a pits imbalance and I had to dealt with adrenal fatigue and that was a whole other thing that I'm still dealing with and when I was a little kid I had really bad asthma and allergies and I was overweight and I had a cough imbalance so no one is ever like above it all like we're still always dealing with things so I think now what I'm dealing with more is like the the pit to imbalance like all of the things that I need to do and how can I still stay grounded and calm in that so how do you deal with stress in that situation what are like some go-to tools mm -hmm. so for example if you have a book that you need to write honestly I think have your priorities set yeah. you know like there were a lot of things I didn't do during those those months. And even during the editing process, like for me, like meeting up with friends, it ended up actually, I would just notice after I would be kind of like, I wouldn't want to like come home and like start writing my book again. I would just be sort of off for a while after. So I'm like, okay, I'm just like, I just told my friends, I'm like, I'm just not going to see you for like two months. Just don't text me. I'm, I'm doing this work. So I just well, really set my, my priority to it and I really focused. And I think that if you, you know, are trying to do something that's really going to require all of you create the framework of your life to support that one goal. It's not forever, but I really just was like, everything comes secondary to this. And, um, and I got done and all of my books, like now I'm writing the fourth book. And when I write the books, it's just all about the book. And then once I'm done, I can, I can come into the coffin, take a pause or go on a vacation or be at the beach more. Um, but when it's time to do that, that I'm in the pitta. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Are there any Ayurvedic stress reducers, any kind of like nutritional things or something like that people can do? For sure. So for example, like pranayama is a really good one, which is alternate nostril breathing. Well, pranayama is just moving energy throughout the body, but the most typical one is the alternate nostril breathing. Have you done that before? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good These, one. What is it, the, the thumb and the third finger? Which one? Which one? You can, you could just do this. That's what I normally. Just the thumb and the index. There's some reason. There's some like spiritual spiritual stuff there oh because of like a, a mudra well a typical mudra is the this index finger and that but yeah. um so you could do pranayama you can what do you what, what is pranayama how, how what, like we, the like, alternate nostril breathing so yeah, you like would breathe in like? for example through the right 
and then switch your um, fingers so the other nostrils now open and then you exhale from that one and then you would breathe in from the same one switch fingers and exhale through the other one yeah so that's just a really good way to balance the masculine and feminine energies inside of you, the Shiva Shakti. I was reading recently that it's supposed to be helpful with connecting the hemispheres of the brain as well. Right, because it's the right and left balancing together. Hmm. So it's just it's just a movement of energy and then, of course, observant of the breath. So sometimes I'll do that if I'm on a flight, for example, and um, just need to like, whoo, chill. And I, I drink a lot of ashwagandha, which is a really great adaptogen. I'm, I drink that at least twice a day. Another one, Shatavari, which is a more feminine version of an adaptogen. Shatavari in Sanskrit means she with a thousand uh, husbands. Oh. Yes. So it's a very good it's like a, female like a one. starfish. Yeah. Right, though right, though uh, it is for horse, men horse, too. Horsefish? What do they call those? What are the fish? The, the horse? They look like a horse? Oh, seahorses. Seahorses. Yeah. I think they're like that. Do they have a thousand husbands? I yeah. believe I believe so. Yeah. We I feel like the, the male seahorses get pregnant. I feel like I've heard <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, like, the male seahorses, they take care of the kids. They have the inverse relationship. Okay. It's like humans or gorillas. Mm. Yeah. That's what Shatavari does to a household. No. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah, so ashwagandha <laughs> means strength of the stallion. So I do I do oh. both of those. I drink a lot of turmeric, which is really good. Um, they Science has found it as effective as Prozac as an antidepressant. So for me, it's my food. It's the herbs. It's the spices. These things are just natural things. I spend time outside. I walk um, on the beach with my like feet on the sand and I'm constantly grounding. I spend time with my dog, like just the playfulness with the animal. Like he is like the ultimate meditation for me because it just takes me to like, nothing matters. Yeah. And it's just a really good reminder. Spending time with kids dancing. Yeah. Those are the things that are really the most impactful. I think, um, well, we can wrap up soon because you got you have a date. You got a hot date with a, with your friend, with a girlfriend, with a girlfriend, (laughs) with a a girlfriend. Um, I'm curious as you're saying this stuff, like, how do folks come upon this in the first place 5,000 years ago? Like who forms this? What does that look like? Yeah. So it was, it's part of the Vedas. The Vedas are the world's oldest texts, right? It's what, it's what yoga comes from. It's what all of these Vedic Vedanta, et cetera, it all comes from the Vedas, right? And they were written in the Indus uh, River Valley, and they were passed on orally until they were recorded about 5,000 years ago. Some say it dates back to 8,000 years ago. Some say 10,000. Some say 20,000 years ago. No one really knows when they first started to talk about it. Mm. How they got the information, they say it's just downloaded, right? It's like, how does anyone get any information? It, it starts as an idea that gets hypothesized, that gets tested, and then it's basically been tested, and some things obviously are no longer part of Ayurveda, and some things continue to be. So it's a living and breathing science that is always changing and is continuing to change. And what I see now is really the emergence of Ayurveda, but how it needs to change for today's time. I mean, think about how different the world was a hundred years ago or even 20 years ago as to 5,000 years ago. So again, it still needs to change. We still need to look at it from today's lens and what humans of today who are exposed to GMOs and chemtrails and all these things they didn't have to worry about in ancient India, um, these things are now things that we are going to have to battle and deal with, but we can still use those same tenets of knowing our body of mind, body balance, and just alter them to match with just our present reality. Yeah. How would you evolve Ayurveda? Is there anything that you see with your... Yeah. Well, my new book is literally about that. So it looks at different parts of Ayurveda and what makes sense and what doesn't. So a really big thing about Ayurveda is obviously the mind-body connection. Now we're finding that up to 95% of serotonin, happiness hormone, is stored in the gut. So what we are seeing is what Ayurveda has been saying for thousands of years. Um, But now the question is, what do you do with that? So with Ayurveda, it goes back to bio-individuality and how it's dependent on what the symptoms are and the symptoms will will describe the, the mental state. So for example, if you are dealing with frustration and anger, take out spices from the diet mm. because these spicy foods are creating too much heat, which can cause the anger. Onions too, right? Onions, garlic, these are all rajasic. They create rage. Right. So if someone's on a yogic path, for example, they're not supposed to eat those foods. Or if you're feeling lethargic and heavy, then don't eat like lots of glutinous foods or carbs or starches. If you're feeling flighty, don't eat lots of salads and green smoothies and kale chips, right? Mm. So these these things I think are are here to stay. But then the other things of Ayurveda that I think need to evolve are, for example, 
In Ayurveda, they say don't eat anything that was cooked more than three hours ago. And that's like a very big part. And I said, well, how can someone meal prep? How can someone like live their life if all they're doing is cooking every single meal from scratch and eating it now? Well, there were no refrigerators 5,000 years ago. So that makes total sense because you wouldn't want to cook something and leave it out with no refrigeration because you would get sick. So I don't think that that needs to stay. Or mushrooms are not a part of Ayurveda. They say mushrooms are really like toxic for the system. I really researched that. I was actually talking to Tarot of Four Sigmatic and we're like, why does it say this? And what I realized, and he had also read about too, was that when the British rule came to India in the 19th century, they saw that there were a lot of psychedelic mushrooms growing Mm. and they didn't want people to ingest those because they could open their mind and see how messed up this was that some foreign country is running your land. So they just said mushrooms are poisonous. No one eat mushrooms. And then that just became part of the culture. No one eat mushrooms. They're poisonous. And a lot of mushrooms are, are poisonous too. So they just said no mushrooms. Mushrooms are really bad. Like a lot of people in India are legit scared of mushrooms. <laughs> and, but in Northern India, like in Kashmir, they eat mushrooms all the time. So this is not part oh. of Ayurveda. This is just an orally passed down, like kind of old wives tale that was thrown in there that people are still following, but there's no real backing of. So things like that, or don't eat any raw foods. Well, if you go to India and you eat raw foods, you will get sick. Like, trust me, I've been there, but that's because there are amoebas, single celled parasites in the bacteria and the soil there and a lot of other bacteria. So you have to cook your foods and add a lot of spices because you need to kill those bacteria and parasites. Whereas in Costa Rica or in other countries, they've been eating raw foods for just as long and they're okay. So we can't say no one eats raw foods because in India you can't eat raw foods. So what I did with my new book, Eat Feel Fresh, is kind of looked at the blue zones around the world and what similarities that has with Ayurveda and how we can include ingredients from all around the world, but still eat them right for our mind body type. Is there any one that stands out amongst the blue zones? Um, like what country? No, no, no. Sorry. No, like any attribute or, or, uh, practice or food or something like that. Yeah. So something that really all of the blue zones have and is a big part of Ayurveda is they incorporate the six tastes. Can you try to name the six tastes? No. Try. Ugh. Like what are some tastes? Bitter, sweet. What's the one that's uh, that's very special? The uh, the bonus one, spicy. I think I don't know. Do I have any more? Sour. Okay. Uh, 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 oh, umusabi. What's it called? Amusabi. You're thinking umami. That, umami. That's not one of that's the Ayurvedic taste. ones. Oh, um, really? It's like it's a Japanese one. It means like <laughs> to taste meaty. But I'll I'll give <laughs> you one as a one taste. What's the other one? There's a. Okay. I don't know. Ice cream. I'm not sure. <laughs> Ice cream, yes. <laughs> Curry. No. Curry. So it's sweet, mm. sour, yeah. salty. Ah, salty. Bitter. Okay. Pungent. Ooh, I never Pungent would be that. like you made that would up. be like spicy. Oh, okay. Um, and this one you wouldn't have ever gotten. Um, astringent. Yeah, I would have got that. So they incorporate <laughs> the six tastes, and the six tastes of Ayurveda are really a big part of it because if you focus on eating these six tastes, you're going to be nutritionally balanced without even trying to worry about it. So sweet foods provide energy. So for example, sweet potato, quinoa, avocado, these are all foods that are building, right? So it doesn't mean candy. It can mean something that's naturally sweet. Um, Sour foods, lemon, apple cider vinegar, salty foods, sea salt, celery, uh, sea vegetables, bitter. Most vegetables are bitter. You can get kale, whatever, Brussels sprouts, Um, pungent, spices, turmeric, ginger, cumin, as well as onion and garlic. They provide flavor and also heat for the body. And then astringent. Astringent means to take in water. So any kind of legume is astringent Mm. because if you soak it, you notice it takes in water. So any kind of chickpea, lentil, etc., we're all fun, fall under the astringent category. So all of the blue zones and what Ayurveda says is eat the six tastes. All of, in my book, Eat, Feel Fresh, the um, lunches are all called six tastes bowls. So it's like, look at the taste like you w- as you would in a Buddha bowl and make sure, you know, okay, do I have my sweet? Do I have my sour? Do I have my salty? And then you won't have to worry about counting calories and blah and stressing about food. You could actually see food as this like, beautiful nourishing thing that you get to taste and enjoy but also make sure you're nutritionally balanced and you're not going to be like craving chocolate and coffee in the afternoon because what cravings are just nutritional imbalances that are happening Mm. and that's why a lot of people 
they'll go on a really strict diet. Like I'm just eating salads and that's it. And they, I've had this before. You like fantasize about brownies and sundaes and all that stuff because your body is like, I need something sweet. I need something nourishing. So sugar is like the fastest way that I can get that glucose. So I remember when I was a raw vegan, I would literally go on Pinterest for fun, like on a Friday night and be like, I'm just going to look at brownies tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah. I was just like, I would just stare and I would like, I would never eat that, but I just want to look at them. Really? Wow. Because my body was like, please give us something that's like going to ground you, like nourish you. So your body's speaking out to you, but sometimes the language is in the most extreme form of the craving. Like people who crave salt, it's like, you know, they're like, oh, I don't want to eat salt because I'm going to get bloated. But then they're like eating all these salty foods. So if you just had a high quality salt or even mineral deficiency often causes salt cravings. If you're Mm. maybe putting your trace minerals in your body, you won't have the salt cravings. So all cravings, there are charts you can look at online, have in my book, you can look at the craving and it tells you what the nutritional imbalance is. So eating the tastes prevents that. And you're going to notice really quickly that you eat that food and you're not, you're not hungry. Like two hours later, you'll be satiated for four to six hours, depending on your dosha. Kaphas tend to go longer, pittas are shorter, vatas in the middle, but you won't need to snack and just graze throughout the day. You can like eat a meal, go on, live your life and, and then come back and enjoy a meal. One thing you said, and then I probably we'll wrap up um you said digestion starts in the mouth i would wage that digestion starts in the eyes yes yes i would agree when you you see the thing because that changes your perception of the taste of it i don't know the biological bits but i bet you there's heaps of studies on how it affects for sure there's this restaurant i went to in new york that it's totally pitch black and you eat this like five course meal and they make the food like a bunch of of pubic hair and Yeah, it's no, it's the food. <laughs> but honestly, I couldn't. I had no. They were like, "So what are you eating?" And we're all like, "Oh, chicken, fish, beef." Like, no, no one had any idea what they were eating wow. because you weren't seeing it. Uh. For example, like they had a salad and it was like cherry tomatoes and grapes, and like you weren't really sure what you were eating because you weren't seeing the food. And it shows how important sight is. Mm. And having color in your food, like having a variety of colors, so when you look at a meal, you're like. Mm, that's appetizing like that is what humans are naturally meant to be attracted to Mm. yeah we're attracted to yellows and oranges and colors like that because it indicates that the fruit is ripe exactly so you can and they all have different qualities too that we need different micronutrients and if you eat a rainbow you literally are eating all of the nutrients that you need but then it gets tricky because we have bullshit like mcdonald's with like a big yellow sign it's like we're ready to be eaten like liars they probably chose yellow because yellow triggers happiness in our mind and they're like we want mcdonald's to be a happy place Mm. so they're i mean they're always using psychology to try to get us to get junk food if you read yeah. the book uh, salt sugar fat all about how the food oh. industry essentially tricks us so they create the perfect ratio of salt sugar and fat to essentially make you addicted so for example you know when you're eating chips and you're almost like you're just in a trance yeah, you're you just eating stop. the chips they actually create it to like dissolve at a certain rate that you eat it and it dissolves that you're kind of like left with this like uncomfortable like taste in your mouth that you kind of need another chip to keep going. So this is all like designed by scientists to make you addicted. There's a thing. It's not called the protein paradox, but it's the protein something. No, 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 No. not, not Gundry's, but no, it's like a, it's like a thing. Um, and the protein myth. No. So, so what, what, this the meaning of this term whatever protein something is that we will continue eating until we our protein needs are satiated hmm. and so when you're eating a bunch of carby you know ruffle bullshit your body just like keeps going because it's like trying to extract the little bits of protein that mm-hmm. it can mm-hmm. but it's just waiting to be filled up by by that i don't know that there's any merit to that but there's there's a whole some say that with fat some some are high carb people it's like Again, I think it's like different bodies react different ways. You can get used to different things. If you grew up eating a certain way, that's what your body will need. So it's amazing really how, how, um, different eating is around the world, but also like the similarity. So I like to look at like, okay, what is tried and true? What has worked? Um, have we seen people eating this way? What do they look like? What do their kids look like? What do their grandkids look like? This is how we can actually test if a diet works. And these mm. new fad diets that happen, we don't have enough testing of how it's going. How are people two generations from you going to react from this diet? So I think that that's an important thing to consider when you're when you're considering eating something new. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. 
how do people keep on they i mean they obviously need to read the 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 ayurveda book idiot's guides uh, to ayurveda yeah. i can't believe you actually did one of the the idiot's guide. i thought it was that was just the name that you and, gave no, it no i didn't i didn't decide <laughs> that name i would have chosen a better name <laughs> You're the first person that i've ever met that's that's actually like i don't even know that someone authored them i thought they were like a machine there was like an alien <laughs> somewhere that was here's for the idiots from that but it's but yeah i'm one of the aliens that writes the idiot's guides yeah it's it's um yeah, the the detail that you go into with all of it, I was really impressed. Like it's, it really feels like it truly is a really good. I would, I'm certainly an idiot in the, in the realm of Ayurveda, and it's like it's a good guidebook for me. Great, yeah, that's what I, <laughs> who I made it for. You're my target audience. I'm a target audience. Yeah. But yeah, no, I just wanted, you know, Ayurveda really changed my life, and I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for that. And I just wanted to put it in terms that people can understand, so it can benefit them and you know sometimes things like we try to like keep it so like mystic and far away and unreachable and like what is the point of that the whole point is so we can use it and benefit from our lives and even the whole point of all of this right is not so you can get a gold star like wow you're the healthiest person on the planet it's so health doesn't become a block to hold you back from what you need to be doing health is not the end goal it's rather a means to the end it's the gasoline you put in your car but what matters is where that car is going Mm, i love it what's your tongue look like Oh, I saw a crack. Oh, how dare you? We're cracked together. (laughs) Yeah, no, I totally have have vata. That's always my my imbalance. (laughs) Most people in this day and age will have a vata imbalance because they're traveling, they're moving, they're multitasking, Uh um, they're eating on the go. Mm. So, all right. But spend 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 a week in nature, and you'll see and notice your tongue. It may look different. (sighs) All right, we'll do before after photos. We can include that in the podcast. All right. where do people find you on social and all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, so um, people can take my dosha quiz. That's a really good place to start. Um, that's on my website, IamSaharaRose.com. You'll see it right on the top. Um, it will tell you the percentage of each dosha in your body and in your mind and then send you a mini course and all this information, all that Ayurveda. My Instagram is also um, at IamSaharaRose. I have a new book called Eat, Feel Fresh, which are plant-based recipes based on Ayurveda. And yeah, if you heard me from Align Podcast, message me on Instagram. Would love to hear from you i love to hear your guys's feedback answer any questions and would love to be of service cool thanks so much yes thank you appreciate it let's wrap this thing up align podcast thank you guys so much for tuning into that conversation i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did some ways that you can support this podcast one of which you can pick up an align band which is a heavy duty resistance band comes along with a door anchor and a carrying case and a video guide on how to mobilize those joints and integrate that body of yours really great stuff you can be found at aligntherapy.com and also on amazon.com thank you also so much for utilizing the Amazon affiliate link on the right-hand sidebar of the podcast page. Bookmark that thing. Anytime you purchase some crap on Amazon, purchase that crap through that link. We get a percentage of it. Costs you nothing. And I think that's enough. Thank you guys so much for reviews on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Pow.